Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to tonight's La Raza Chronicles. On today's program, we focus on the caravanas of Central Americans making their way to the frontera here in the United States. We talk about the solidarity they experience, the journey, the dangers they face along the way, and also the experience that many face with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We also talk about how listeners can join part and form part of a committee to actually work towards sponsoring, supporting, and, and helping to address this tremendous humanitarian crisis. So not only the ways that people can get involved from a humanitarian perspective, but also the ways that they can get involved politically. Along the same lines of working towards political change and telling more complete narratives, we bring you an interview with Miranda Bergman, who worked on Maestra Peace, among many other important murals in San Francisco and beyond. Maestra Peace is the incredible art that's on the San Francisco Women's Building, and they're in the process of developing a beautiful book that will be history of some of the incredible women that are make up the mural. There are hundreds of names and faces that people can learn more about, some unsung heroes. And we talked to her about an important event with Olga Talamante and Angela Davis that's happening this Friday. All this, and of course, a calendar of upcoming events, and much more. No te lo pierdas. Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On today's program, we talk about what we're seeing and feeling in the news every day, which is the fact that many people are risking their lives to come to this country and are doing so in a way where they're supporting each other and building a movement as they do it. There's been much conflict and uh, controversial news reporting around this, but we're going to get the opportunity to talk to someone who actually is connected to the work happening to support those that are on the front lines. I'm very lucky to have here in the studio with us, Bero. She is here and she will be talking to us about the work she is doing with her organization. She will also be interpreted. To begin, can you please talk to us about your son? Your son is in Tijuana. Can you tell us about what he is doing there? Pues, él llegó a Tijuana con la caravana. So, my son came uh, by way of Tijuana with a group of people from Honduras, from El Salvador, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua. They came walking on a bus, however possible, to join. So those who have come to join the caravan do so by way of sacrificing. It's a sacrifice for them. But they come uh, seeking the ability to change their lives, to seek opportunities, to struggle that they that they participate in, in the hopes of providing their children and their families a better life. My own son is young, he's an adolescent, and a lot of people, you know, can look at him and say, you know, he's someone who's very fun-loving, someone who exhibits those, those characteristics, but it's been a very difficult experience for him walking. In the walk, in the journey, um, they stopped at different towns and in places, in parts of Mexico, the people of Mexico have been very kind, have provided them with water and other necessities. So those on the caravan are people from Central America who are tired of struggling through poverty, through violence. They're tired of having nothing to offer their children. They leave the little that they have in the hopes of finding something. And it's difficult to believe how challenging this is for them. They have been offered things like even a tarp to be able to provide a home for their families. And what they're looking for is solidarity, uh, the ability to, to be able to gain a better life, to be able to tell their children, you know, my loves, my children, I have food for you. Um, there's women on this caravan who have three or four children, and they're looking for ways to provide food, a roof over their children's head, or even health care. This exodus from Central America has demonstrated a lot of power and strength. And part of the reason for the, the criticism that we're seeing from others is the fear of seeing an organized group. This is a group of people that are tired of experiencing the misuse of power 
this exodus is seeking to break barriers and is organized. This is a group of people that are seeking a better life, that are seeking adequate schools for their children, food for their children, and human rights. And this is a powerful group. And this is part of the reason why a lot of others are being very critical of this organized group, because if it wasn't so large, um, a lot of times it's very dangerous to travel in a smaller group. People are deported, people die when they travel in less numbers. And so this is um, an opportunity that people are using to be organized and to really fight back for their own community. Pero you work with Pueblos Sin Fronteras. Tell us about your journey. Yo vine en una caravana el año pasado en noviembre, en octubre. I was a part of a caravan in October of last year, and this was one of the most, if not the most important experience of my life. It changed the way I live my life and the way I understand the world. As part of Pueblos Sin Fronteras, it's a nonprofit organization. Nobody who works there receives financial support for what they do to support immigrants. At times, they risk their lives. And I not only learned about the importance that we can have when we unite and we are, work together and we organize together, but being part of Pueblos Sin Fronteras also inspired me and has motivated me to not just be someone who at one point participated in a caravan, but is also a member of an organization that is doing everything possible to support other migrants. Pero, can you talk to us about how the caravan is organized throughout the journey? En la caravana que yo venía era pequeña. I participated in a small caravan that was easily organized because it was small and we watched out for each other's safety. Thanks to God and to our organization, each day that we participated as part of this caravan was relatively calm. But I remember it became a little bit more difficult when we were traveling by train from uh, Mexico City or CDMX to Mexicali. At one point, someone was trying to assault a member of the caravan, and I remember that we had a safety word that we used that was alerta. So when somebody said that word, alerta, we knew that we all had to use that word and all say it together as a group. And it was a word that once we all heard it and were saying it together, we knew that something dangerous was happening. And being part of a caravan to me meant traveling in a safe way, and it meant protection of all those who were participating. Pero, what are, do you think people would need if they are on a caravan? What are things that we could do to support? Creo que lo que se necesita primero es what people need on a caravan is food, clothes, as they're traveling from Tijuana en route, they're going to need a lot of food. Um, there's a lot of them. And as they get closer to the border, once they're preparing to cross into the United States, they're going to need support from U.S. citizens to receive those people that may be detained. Because it's very difficult when you try to cross into this country if you don't have family that is there to receive you. The laws in the United States say that you need U.S. citizen family that can um, accept those people that are crossing. And that's very difficult for um, those who are trying to cross who don't have family. So what we need to do is support people who are migrating, support migrants from Central America, and have people open up their hearts to recognize that we're good people, we're here, we want to work, we're seeking better lives, and we're very humble. Any small gesture is enough to bring, bring joy to us and make us feel welcome. The other thing that we need is more on the political side. So we need people to support the actions that we take. We need people who are going to say that we welcome migrants and that we don't agree with racists who oppose migrants. We're equal to all people. And we need as many people as possible to exert 
power to create change. This is a humanitarian crisis, but we also need to take political action. You need both. You can't just be on the side of being a good humanitarian. You need a united strategy to unite political pressure and humanitarianism to create real change for migrants. Can you explain to us a little bit, talk to us about your experience being detained by ICE? Oh my God, my time in detention was the worst time of all. There were seven months that were very difficult where you're mistreated, you're discriminated against for not speaking English, for not understanding what they're saying. They give you food that is no good. They mistreat you psychologically. It's a time where you feel that you're being punished. There's no real contact with family members. If you get sick, they tell you drink water or they don't provide you with quality medication. It was a very difficult experience to watch my compañeras crying when they were sick. I still don't know how I was able to withstand those seven months under those conditions. And in all that time, I was only able to speak to my family maybe three or four times. And I told my mom, even in those short times, hi mom, don't worry about me. I'm okay, please take care of my children. And that's it. And the challenging thing is when you don't have economic resources, you can't contact your family in the detention center. Apart from that, the time in detention, what you do is you eat, you sleep, and they allow you a restroom break. They don't teach us how to do anything. They don't allow us to do anything. Each day feels like an eternity where time doesn't pass. It was such a difficult experience for me that I feel like it's something that will affect me my entire life. Even six months later, I feel as though a part of me is still there. And I think about my compañeras who were deported, some of whom, thank God, were released, and some are still there, and that breaks my heart. So the way to contact Pueblos Sin Fronteras, they do have a website. There's also another uh, organization called uh, Megafono del Pueblo. And in San Francisco, there's many organizations that are organizing alongside us who support the work that we do, many individuals who support migrants. So there's many ways to get involved locally, not just in San Francisco and Oakland, but also in uh, Berkeley. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Thank you so much, Vero, for all the work you're doing and for your continuous commitment for a more just world. Muchísimas gracias de nuevo. I see you under the freeway. Could be me someday. We're all just two paychecks away. Shopping cart filled with everything you own. Like Sisyphus, you roam. The streets are your home. Si fuera tú, o mi hermano, quiero ofrecer mi mano al carretero urbano. This is La Rosa Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. We just heard an interview with Vero from Pueblo Sin Fronteras talking about the important work happening to support people who are on caravan to reach the United States and are facing many obstacles but are supporting each other to get here. So we have in the studio with us here today folks that are going to talk to us about what people are doing here in the Bay Area to create awareness and create support and in solidarity with those that are part of these caravans. I have in the studio with us Reverend Deborah Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. And then I also have Jason Wallach. Can you all talk to us about what is happening here in the Bay Area to support people who are part of the caravana? Well, thanks, Julieta, for having us on. Um, and it is always really powerful to hear Veronica share her story and her you know, lived experience in this and the fact that 
even after um, all that she's been through and continues to go through, um, she's maintaining a position of struggling for justice and, and everybody's rights. Um, and I think that her inspiration is, is something and the inspiration of thousands of migrant people is what's really driving um, and inspiring a massive solidarity movement that's rising up in the Bay right now. Um, this is the moment to do that when we see six, 7,000 people um, leaving unified from Mexico City um, with one goal, and that's to have a better life um, somewhere else, except for the places that they came from that were wracked by violence and just lack of opportunities. And so I think for us at this point, our job really is to you know heed the call and listen to what folks are saying when they're arriving on the borders. So many of us here in the Bay are trying to figure out the best way to do that. The coalition that we're building is working on asking those questions on a daily basis. Reverend Deborah Lee, I know that you've been working around these justice issues for quite a while. Can you tell us about some of the many areas that you're seeing in terms of need for support? Because it seems like we're talking about support when people are in their home countries that are deeply impacted by the violence they're experiencing. We're talking about the support while people are crossing borders and working and struggling to arrive here, and then once they arrive. So can you talk to us about some of the ways that you have seen through your work that uh, support is needed and ways that people have um, tried to connect and address these humanitarian issues? Yes, I think this is a tremendous opportunity for for us here in the Bay Area to be able to respond to this organized nonviolent action that's been taken by by migrants in a context where their rights to move are not being recognized. They have gone ahead and done it, and they've come this far. And I think here in the Bay Area, we've been inspired by the kind of help and support that they've received by the Mexican communities all along the way. And it's our duty to now take the baton and provide the kind of solidarity that's needed. And so as you mentioned, there's a lot of forms of solidarity that, that are needed. And the welcome Migrant Welcome Committee that we're forming have identified three main ways. One is to provide support to the communities along the border that are building now, you know, that are aggregating and the organizations along the border that are supporting them to provide them more support, volunteer support, financial support, as they try to address the real humanitarian needs that exist for people who may be waiting for months in order to present themselves at the border. The second is political action. Um, the holdup at the border is a is a political problem, not a logistical problem. And I think we have to pressure so that there's a better response at the ports of entry so more than 50 or 100 people can enter and come through. We have to address the root causes that are causing other caravans to start, you know, and, and we have continued to not address the root causes of why people are being forced to leave. And then the third line of response is for our what we can do here in the Bay Area to provide accompaniment and to help people hopefully not be detained um, at all, like Veronica had to experience, but, and by providing sponsorship, by providing other kinds of legal and other kinds of accompaniment to support them in their 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 defense and in their rights to fight for asylum. So how can listeners get involved? And if people are listening and they want to either uh, find out more or they want to be part of this movement um, that's very important of people here in the United States that can join in to offer support. How can how can people be a part of that? Well, we're really excited about our kickoff event for the Migrant Welcoming Committee. And that's going to be on December 8th at First Presbyterian Church in Oakland, which is at 27th and Broadway in Oakland. This event we feel is the kind of the way that we want to start this and get this issue into people's uh, onto people's plates and into people's uh, living rooms in the Bay Area. We've seen about it in the news so much and heard about it in different places. It's coming across everyone's social media feeds in one way or the other, but nobody's really connected to the organizations that are on the border doing direct solidarity work or to to people who are actually living 
this reality of um, having to travel by caravan and and now be stuck on the border and you know living in these border pair cities without a chance to get into the United States. So our job here is to really create a space where people can have their questions answered and understand what are the paths of action. And that's what's happening on December 8th at First Presbyterian Church at 7 p.m. Folks in the Bay Area need to start pressuring their elected representatives to see how are our elected representatives preparing and responding and respecting the rights of asylum seekers. The second thing is for all kinds of groups and people and individuals in the Bay Area to consider what would, if they can host somebody as a housing host and sponsor to be able to provide an address for people who may be coming to present themselves at the border who do not have a family member. Those without family members will most likely end up in detention centers, possibly indefinitely, unless they have a sponsor who can provide them food and shelter for a number of months. And so we are really asking people to um, think about the concern that they have and that they've had for the caravan and and to really practically think about what they can respond um, here in a very personal way, because that's actually one of the things that people need. And and, um, we don't want people like Veronica had to do to spend seven months in detention and for others have spent years in detention without a sponsor. And that's something very concretely that we can do, as well as to do some fundraising to support bonds so that people can get released as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think the cynical policies of the administration right now are creating uh, a very, you know, they're intentionally creating a bottleneck at the border around asylum claims. And we definitely need to push back on that. And Beto, I think, was very clear, and and I think Deb and I would agree, it's not just humanitarian support that's needed at this moment. Are we organizing that? Yes, we are. But on top of that, we definitely need some political pushback against the policies of this administration. And unfortunately, or for better or worse, that means pressuring Democrats in, in Congress right now to say, no, you need to step up. You need to take action. You need to push back against this stuff because it's not sufficient to allow 6,000, 8,000. Um, and then if more caravans come, those numbers are going to go up uh, to be hosted at the border. It's putting undue pressure on border pair cities in Mexico and forcing them. Uh, it's outsourcing the hosting work that people in the United States should be doing. And um, we want we need to pressure our government to take on that work. I want to just underscore that None of the folks on the caravan, there's no reason why they need to be detained. There are many alternatives to detention, and we have to fight for those alternatives and help to create those alternatives. And becoming sponsors is one way to be an alternative to that. The other thing is we absolutely have to put pressure on an end to the military aid that we continue to send to Honduras that continues to create the repression and the violence and the complicity with the narco traffickers that are that are you know spiraling that country out of control and why do we continue to support that country and then not respond to people who are fleeing for their lives right now a lot of people feel like there's just so much bad news there's so many terrible things happening that this is inevitable so it's so wonderful to hear that there are actual there's this coalition where people can join with others that are striving for actual ways to address this issue and address this from not just a humanitarian perspective, but also political. Can you tell us a little bit more about who forms part of this coalition? Who's coming together? Because as we know, you know, there's a huge range of folks that are impacted by this issue. Well, our coalition is forming right now. And so we're really um, basically a coalescence of people and organizations that really care about this issue. But we are very nascent. So it's starting off. And um, on December 8th, we're going to really see who's in the room with us. We anticipate a huge outpouring of support. We're anticipating four or 500 people. And the groups that are kind of starting it off now are taking that kind of load on at this moment. And we're talking about groups like Deb's group, um, my group, my organization is Surge, uh, showing up for racial justice in the Bay Area. The faith community has been very involved around the issue of immigration detention for a long time, and so, and also looking at root causes. So I think the, the faith community, the interfaith movement for human integrity is part of it. I, but I also, there's a lot of individuals, uh, the LGBT community, some of the community groups have 
been there too. So December 8th is we're calling it People's Assembly for the Migrant Caravan Solidarity. And so we really want to invite all kinds of people's organizations to come to that event and find out how their organizations can plug in and the and the ways they can get their members involved because this is really an all-hands-on-deck situation. We actually don't want to be too prescriptive at this moment. We know the things that we've just talked about those are things that definitely need to happen. But there's so many actions that can and should be taken. Um, and we want to open up the creativity to help figure out what are those thousand flowers that need to bloom, because we don't know all of them yet. Um, but we trust the power of people to make those decisions and organize the way that needs to address the needs at hand. This is definitely an evolving situation. And I do want to just let people know December 10th, there will be a mobilization at the San Diego-Tijuana border for International Human Rights Day. And at the same time, we also really want to emphasize that there's so much work that we can do right here in the Bay Area to continue to make the Bay Area a welcoming place for newcomers to arrive, to be able to seek uh, asylum, to be able to get legal defense, to be able to get support, to be able to find a place to live. And I think that we can be that kind of community. Tell us a little bit about what the lineup of this event will be like. Well, it's going to be a really live event. We're going to have, like I said, four to 500 people there, all anticipating and ready to take action on this issue. And to do so, we, we definitely know we need to provide like a political context. So for folks to understand, like, what are we working from? And we're really honored to have Roberto Lovato, who's um, basically one of the preeminent kind of like thinkers around these issues in the U.S. He's also the former head of Caresen, uh, the L.A. office of Caresen during the late period of the Salvadoran Civil War. So he's got direct experience working with migrants um, from Central America, and, and he's going to provide like a long, kind of like the long view perspective, both historically and also looking long term into uh, into or you know the future organizing that needs to happen at this moment. We're also honored to have um, Professor Dana Frank from UC Santa Cruz, who's one of the people who the most recent um, scholarship has been on Honduras since the 2009 coup. Professor Frank is really going to share with us her work, um, especially from her most recent book, about how the uh, aftermath of the coup has really affected Honduran society and how U.S. militarism has contributed to the degradation of the entire social structure there. Also, we have some performers, some amazing performers, uh, Maya Chinchilla, who's a Guatemalan-American queer poet. And finally, we're also going to have uh, Choti Ma, who's a Mexican-born hip-hop artist who brings a lot of energy and a lot of political education with her raps. And we're going to have ways for people to sign up to be involved because the next month or two are going to be very critical. Yeah, because most of the half of this program is going to be about the, the politics, getting people's spirits up. And then the other half is going to be work. It's going to be organizing and getting together to make sure that people who want to continue with this work are going to have ways to plug in. I've been speaking to Reverend Deborah Lee along with Jason Wallach. They are both active here in the Bay Area working on this coalition. And you can be part of this coalition. As they said, it's not set in stone. You can be part of this incredible group that is working to address what is happening here in terms of our crisis of support, our crisis of our attacks on immigrants, our attacks on migrants, and we are going to do everything possible to address this from a political and humanitarian perspective. So I'm really excited to hear about this event on the 8th of December. People can not only can they find solidarity and hope and inspiration through the writers, thinkers, musicians, artists that will be performing and speaking, but they'll also be able to get their hands dirty and be a part of this larger movement, this wave to push for a greater change and greater policies. Thank you both so much for coming in studios and speaking with us. We greatly appreciate your work in the community. And how can people find out more? How can they make sure that they don't forget about this important event? How can they stay up on it? Go on to Facebook, look up Migrant Welcoming Committee East Bay, or you can look up for the People's Assembly for Migrant Caravan Solidarity. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Julieta.
rained. A Nicaraguan girl tells me she feels sad when it rains. Why, I ask? Because children die from rain? They fall in the deep open sewers and drown. A year later, it rained in Nicaragua for many days and nights. Hurricane Mitch blew, the lakes flooded, the mountains and volcanoes slid down and ate the town spilling mud, covering people, houses, and animals. Arms and legs stuck up from the mud, dead bodies floated on the lake. The little girl said she thought it was the apocalypse until the sun came out and the wind died down. Families fled to the capital city to sleep in schoolyards, crops, livestock, tools, and clothes gone. Hungry survivors grieved for the lost ones and worldly goods. I know why, the little girl says, she feels sad when it rains. Ocean. While I was busy with other things, Ocean broke waves, pounded the shore, roared relentlessly, foam, tossed logs, shells, stones, littered driftwood, erased footsteps, filled holes, etched a trail bed for the emptying river. Ocean caught the sun before it slipped, reflected the moon, and danced to her tune. Summer. Did the sunlight burn off my morning anguish? Or was it the mockingbird singing, trilling, chirping, and even imitating a cell phone ring into this long summer daylight, into this gently rambling twilight? Summer's glories pierce the gloom reminding me of my tiny role in the universe and my very special place. Infinity through inner space. Sometimes I feel your presence, how I felt when I was with you. In what dimension or what black hole do our shared moments still exist, spiraling through time, which we are told does not exist because time and space are infinite? Then will there be no end as we expand infinitely? And all that past presence move with us. On the shore. The edge inclines, brings you deeper into the water's embrace, enfolds you in its powerful flow. How strong the water is, so quick to change with the wind and gravitational pull of the moon and movements of fish below and birds above. I feel like one grain of sand on the shore, one grain in the sea of time, one grain 
in this vast universe of stars, galaxy, and infinite space ever-changing. One grain compacted with others that form land, earth. One moist grain on the edge where water stretches to touch, to be carried with currents and returned with tide like love everlasting that washes in waves the shore with divine grace. My name is Julieta Kusnid. This is La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. On today's program, we are really excited to talk about one of the jewels of San Francisco. I always say when people go to San Francisco, you can skip the cable car, and if you only do one thing, go to the Women's Building. The Women's Building is not only a place where you will be transformed because of the incredible art and beauty, but it's a history lesson. It's a decolonizing experience. It's also an opportunity to see faces that otherwise are ignored when we think about California, when we think about some of the incredible activists. We don't get to see those women's stories, and you get to see them and experience them through the Women's Building. I have in the studio with me Miranda Bergman, who is one of the powerful forces behind this women's building and she is here to talk to us about its important history and also how it continues to be such a powerful place of action change rebirth and re-energizing social movements specifically around mujer struggles and struggles of folks that are underserved and marginalized Miranda Bergman thank you so much for joining us here in studio I'm glad and honored to be here Miranda Bergman, so you set to do this incredible task, which is join forces with some of your fellow comrades in struggle, other incredible women muralists that were doing sensational art that not only told stories that were not told elsewhere, but also just did in such a captivating way with so much magic and beauty. So, I mean, the women's building now, I think a lot of people... They've grown up with it. They've seen it evolve. They've seen it change. You know, I always say it's one of my favorite museums in the sense that it's art and culture and history all in one. But tell us about how it came to be, because let's say you moved here five years ago or 10 years ago. You just know it as the women's building, but you don't know the story of the women who put it together, who fought for it, and also who decided what stories to tell on the different panels. So there's the building, and then there's a mural on the building. And a very brief description of the history of the building is that some visionary women in San Francisco, now I think 40 years ago, formed a group called the Women's Centers. And they were exploring ways to get services to women and empower women. And that building on 18th Street between... Valencia and Guerrero, which is the women's building now, went up for sale, and they managed to figure out a way to make a down payment and get the building. Fast forward 15 years, the mortgage was going to be paid off. They had done a lot of things to make themselves more visible and broaden their range, and it was a big celebration. So they contacted me about maybe doing a mural and how to do the steps for that. And so we formed a committee, and in time, we gathered enough information. There was thousands of questionnaires that got distributed before the Internet. This is 1993. We got all these suggestions, and we did an artist call, and we ended up with an amazing team, which is uh, Juana Alicia, Myself, Miranda Bergman, Edith Boone, Susan Kelk Cervantes, Mira Desai, Yvonne Littleton, and Irene Perez. So even then, which was almost 25 years ago, we already had 100 years of mural experience between us. And like, for example, Irene Perez was one of the Mujeres Muralistas, a very pioneering women's muralist group in San Francisco. So... It was an amazing collaboration, and we had so much, so much info given to us and desires, and we had to figure out how to make art out of it, and a wall on walls that are full of windows. 
of women of the world internationally throughout time, including spiritual icons. So it was challenging and wonderful, and we did it. And in that time, so much happens in the women's building. It houses like, I think, 11 or 12 organizations that are around empowerment for women and girls, Mujeres Unidos and Women Against Rape and a lot of others. And then also there's a lot of space that is rented out, which is part of how the income gets generated. So all kinds of things happen there, all kinds of family celebrations from quinceañeros to bat mitzvahs to choral singing to all kinds of informative events. And uh, there's also have a center where they offer free tax advice and computer training and help with employment, and there's a child care center, et cetera, et cetera. It's an amazing place, and it's a victory that these women were able to pull it off, and the the management of it has grown to the point where it is uh, successful and one of the few. It was the first women-owned building in the country of this magnitude and center. And so the mural will be 25 years old next year. We started painting in 1993, and we finished it in 1994 with a huge street party where we closed off 18th Street. And even then, we still added to it again in 2000, and then again in 2010, we went inside. So it's it's a work in progress, but we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the mural next year in 2019 by creating a book about the mural. It's been in many magazines and books, but there's never been a full book just about it. And it holds so many stories and so much history, like you said in the intro, and who are the women on the wall. So we want to broaden out all of that and the different solutions we made to cover as much as we could. And so we're working on a book now with Heyday Books, and we've been in a, over a year of fundraising from various sources, and we're close. And it's going to come out, and it's really exciting. I'm speaking to Miranda Bergman. She's talking to us about this really important project of documenting the work of the amazing murals on the Women's Building in San Francisco on 18th Street. And She's talked to us about the history of the women's building itself and also the history of all these incredible artists coming together to tell stories, to highlight women building and creating and also transforming the world to be better. So this is a time where a lot of people are feeling a little discouraged thinking, how do I take on these big projects? There's so many obstacles. But this was such a huge project. So I know that Maestra piece, the book that you all are you're working on that will be out next year with Hey Day Publishing will be a way for people to understand the story. But I know you all are constantly working to how to continue to preserve the legacy of the women's building and also how do you preserve the stories of the people on the walls of the women's building. So tell us about how people can engage in this feminist, radical history by supporting these wonderful artists and also the Women's Building itself through the event that's upcoming. And also tell us about how people can find out more about the the work that people are doing to preserve um, all this incredible art. Well, first of all, I invite everybody to go see the mural and be with her. She's the eighth member of the group. We said the wall. (laughs) But anyway, and of course, we had many volunteers. It was an amazing, amazing collaboration. So scale really makes a difference if you look at a postcard or even when a beautiful book comes out. To stand by figures that are 20 feet tall or 35 feet tall is a whole different experience. So really welcome anybody to go there and spend some time with the mural, go inside, find out about the women's building. And we are still in the process of raising money for the book, which is going to be called Maestra Peace, San Francisco's Monumental Feminist Mural. And the time that it's coming out, Angela Davis is is writing the foreword. We have 
poems by Alice Walker and several other, like six other great women poets. And um, we hope that the book is a work of art in itself. But there's so many stories in the mural, but really the, the healing power of women's wisdom for all of our communities is a core message and a core need right now, very timely. So we are having an event to hopefully move our fundraising closer to our goal. It's called Voices from the Resistance. It's going to be on Friday, November 30th. And it's going to be at the Brava Theater, which is a wonderful place and was originally called Brava for Women in the Arts, and it's run by women. So it's a fitting place for it. And it's called Voices from the Resistance, like I said before. And it's Angela Davis in conversation with Olga Talamante. Both of them were political prisoners at a time, and it should be a really interesting conversation. Of course, there's also going to be some culture and uh, just good feeling. And we hope that you all can come, whoever of you that can. It's going to start at 7 p.m. You can find out all the information you will need about that by going to brava.org, B-R-A-V-A dot O-R-G. And we're looking forward to that. So we are really excited to hear about this project, ways that people can get involved, and that ways that people can be inspired. Both Olga Talamante and Angela Davis have had such a long-standing commitment to social justice and have managed to remain hopeful, and they've managed to remain incredible visionaries, even with great consequences that they've faced. Mm -hmm. So Miranda Bergman, your commitment to social change, to justice work, and to use art as a tool for social change has been consistent. Many people love your art, but don't mm -hmm. even realize that you are the the powerhouse behind it. So when you think of people like Olga Talamante and Angela Davis, and you think about all the beautiful panels and pieces of the murals at the Women's Building, tell us about a common theme that comes up for you. Well, it's about the resilience, the wisdom, and the power of women. Unsung women, everyday women, and women who have stood out, such as Olga and Angela, but many others. The year we started was the year that um, Rigoberta Menchu won the Nobel Peace Prize, for instance. And in all the different sections, there's calling out of certain women, like Audre Lorde died when we were painting it. Lillian Ngoyi was a leader of the passbook movement in South Africa, where women filled squares and burned their passbooks, and she's there burning her passbook. Jocelyn Elders, who very ironically was fired by <laughs> President Clinton, the man, for talking about masturbation. Well, I don't have to say anything more about that, but it was ironic, and she's there. Um, Maria Sabina, who's a healer from Mexico, a renowned healer. Hanana Shrauri, who was the spokesperson for the Palestinians and the so-called peace talks that were happening then, and many, many others. Too much to say in an interview, but we'll all be in the book. And then, of course, there are spiritual icons like um, Yemaya, Koyoshaki, Kuan Yin, and we tried to say as much as we can and also have layers for people to discover. And because there was 8,000 questionnaires that were passed out, so of course we got a lot of responses and requests for who to put in it. To make it good art, we really could not do that. And the solution we had is if you look from far away at the building, it looks like all these colored threads of different fabrics, which represent different cultures, it looks like they have something on them like lace or something. But when you get close, you see that it's meticulous calligraphy that has the names of over 500 women. Some of them are really well known. We hope it encourages curiosity. Look, look it up. Well, who was that? What did she do? 
um, Nora Storka. What part did she play in Nicaragua, etc.? So that's all buried within there, which is part of why Heyday wanted us to do a book, because there's so many stories. And, you know, Georgia O'Keeffe, etc., etc. It was an amazing experience painting this mural with this team of women. And it was so profound in our lives that we have continued meeting for 25 years. We made a Sisters in Paint family, and it's been a gift and a tremendous learning experience in all of our lives. And I'd like to say a little thing about the name, because maestra piece, you know, what is that? Well, for people who speak Spanish, they know that maestra means woman teacher. But we actually got that idea from Rigoberta Menchu's office because we wrote to try to get her to come to the dedication, and she couldn't make it because of important things like the Nobel Peace Prize. But she said, I'll come again, and I'll do a Mayan blessing. And why shouldn't a maestra piece such as this not have two inaugurations? And the seven of us had been, you know, we decided things by majority, but we decided for the title it had to be unanimous. And we had gone through about 20 names, and we couldn't be unanimous. And then we looked at each other, maestra piece. And it's so good. And we then we tweaked it. We changed the spelling from P-I-E-C-E, masterpiece, right, P-I-E-C-E, to, to P-E-A-C-E. So it was like a feminist reversal of masterpiece, which is usually connected with white male high art in museums. And also, you know, community murals are never counted as fine art. So we just overthrew that and turned it into Maestra Peace, Woman Teacher of Peace. That's the vibes we put into every brushstroke, was our, our true belief that, you know, in order to really achieve justice and peace and a new relationship among ourselves and our earth, which we are part of and interdependent with, women's voices need to be heard. And when Angela Davis came to the mural to revisit it, she has been to the building a lot, but since she's writing the opening essay, you know, she wanted to visit it again. And she remarked about how timely it is now, you know, with Me Too and all of the the waves that are starting to build within women's consciousness and and our allies among men and among any space on the spectrum of gender because it, it isn't really about gender, but it is about women's empowerment and throwing off the the very centuries of different kinds of exploitation and it's for everyone. And we hope that you come and see it and give it some vibes and come to our benefit, if you possibly can, at Brava Theater, which is 2781 24th Street at Bryant. Doors open at 6. Program starts at 7. We're looking forward to it, and we'd love to see you there. That's the voice of Miranda Bergman. She's speaking to us about Maestra Peace, the beautiful art that you all can experience for free, even though <laughs> it tells a story of many, many history books, things you would never see written in your history book in high school or wherever that may be. And you can also be a part of history by being there November 30th. That's this upcoming Friday the 30th and we're going to be able to hear from two incredible leaders that not only talk about how to you know share their wisdom but they also talk to us about the many ways that they have found strength in the face of very difficult moments in their lives and how they've been able to imagine a different world and imagine a world where there is more justice for for all living people and for the world as well for our for all living beings. So thank you so much, Miranda Bergman. We really appreciate your time and not only your time, but your energy to create such incredible pieces that not only causes us to think, but I definitely, when I think about your pieces, I think, wow, this is the story. This is the history that's missing. And what's so beautiful about it is that you get transported to to a different place and you get to, you walk away with that joy of, of seeing people in struggle, see people resisting, seeing people being strong 
along and just the beauty of just everyday people living their lives trying to imagine a, a better way so Miranda, thank you so much for your dedication and also thank you for working so hard to document this in, in this beautiful book. Maestra Peace is going to be a book that not only should you have it on your coffee table because it's a work of art, but if you're a teacher or if you're someone who works in the educational system, it's a really important way to share with your students around history that they wouldn't learn elsewhere. Thank you. Muchísimas gracias. I love your show. I listen to it every week. <laughs> And now we bring you La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de las Razas, calendar of upcoming events. This Saturday, December 1st, go to the Mission District, the 24th Street Corridor, to participate in El Paseo Artístico, which is a great art-centered, community-focused stroll where you can check out a whole bunch of different opportunities to see poesia, make art yourself, talk to incredible community leaders, and you get to wrap up that beautiful evening with a free concert at the Brava Theater Center Cabaret, and you can check that out on December 1st at 8 p.m. And there's going to be this free concert with Almas Fronterizas, John Santos, La Fabi, DJ Ladies, and you'll get to experience a whole bunch of great music and art and spend the whole day in the mission. This Sunday, December 2nd, the Howard Zinn Book Fair will be happening at the Mission Campus of City College. That is on Valencia, and you can go there and enter for free and see incredible panels and learn a ton about everything from movements from the 60s and 70s to how we can fight for the air we breathe. So check out the Howard Zinn Book Fair on Sunday, December 2nd. We also want to share this event at La Peña Cultural Center, lapeña.org, which will be December 5th, and it's called Puerto Rico, Building a Social and Solidarity Economy. Doors open at 6, event begins at 6.30, and you'll get to hear from economist Eric Leanson, who traveled to the island on November 7th, the 13th this year and where he visited a number of community-based organizations including Boricua Agroecológico and startup cooperatives, mutual aid centers, as well as Nuestra Escuela. He also spoke uh, to several mayors and inspiring community groups. So to find out more about how Puerto Rico is building a social and solidarity economy, come to La Peña on December 5th. Find out more at lapeña.org. And last but definitely not least, Corazón del Tiempo film screening for Zapatista middle schools. You can be a part of the work happening to support the Zapatistas by going to the Omni Commons, which is 6799 Shattuck Avenue in Oakland on Thursday, December 6th at 6.30 p.m. This is a great way to connect with other folks that are working to support Zapatistas. You can also see some incredible films and take part of this incredible opportunity to learn more about what's happening in the Zapatista communities. You've been listening to a calendar of upcoming events from La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. To find out about more local events or to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook. You can also to listen to this program again on SoundCloud by going to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles or finding us on iTunes and subscribing to us or Stitcher by searching La Raza Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Today's program has been produced by Nina Serrano, Beatriz Herrera, myself, Julieta Cusnid, and the support of all you listeners who are supporting KPFA community-sponsored radio. Thank you so much for supporting us during our last fun drive. If you have any events that you hope that we can cover in the future, please email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. <laughs>